This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. A little time to chat tonight, so it's straight to our first offering, Mr. and Mrs. North, and the episode from 1943, Murder by the Book. Yes, a lovely skin like yours is why romance I love you so very much, for you have the skin I love The Adventures of Mr. and Mrs. North, starring Alice Frost and Joseph Curtis, and brought to you by Woodbury Cold Cream, the beauty cream for the skin you love to touch. me how a girl as cultured as Martha Gilroy ever dreamed up murders like this. And it's so well written. 
Jerry, it'll be a bestseller. You bet. I'm going to get this into print as fast as the type can be set. It's a gold mine. Isn't that just the way, Jerry? A girl like Martha writing a book that'll make money, and, and she's got so much already, she doesn't know what to do with it. Well, she hasn't got the money, Pam. It's old Uncle Gordon. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I wish we could meet him. I'd just like to tell Beatrice Van Snickle that I was hobnobbing with Gordon Gilroy, the millionaire banker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's seen. Well, you won't meet him on this trip. Martha said he had to go to Chicago on business. Jerry, do you think maybe we could wangle another invitation? Mm. You know there are real silk sheets on the bed. No. Mm-hmm. Well, come on, let's go downstairs and find Martha. She's probably anxious to hear our verdict on the book. Oh, I told her already. When I finished reading it this afternoon. Why, you precocious little brat. <laughs> Ouch! Well, come along. Let's <laughs> go and tell her that I like it, too. I'm uh, thinking this is the library door, Mr. Knott. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Knott. Sure, you need a map to navigate around this house. <laughs> yes, you certainly do. Uh-huh. It's the library. Come on, Jerry. Martha said that she... Oh. Well? Excuse us, please. We didn't know that... One minute, young lady. Who are you? Uh, Good evening, sir. You're Mr. Gilroy, aren't you? Yes, I am. Much more to the point. Who are you? I'm Gerald North. This is my wife, Pamela. Uh, How do you do? May I ask what you're doing in my house? Why, we were invited by your niece, Martha. We understood you were in Chicago. This is a pleasant surprise. Uh, we have the big front bedroom and, and the lovely sitting room with the white satin curtain. Oh, party, huh? Minute my back's turned. Well, we're not exactly party guests, Mr. Gilroy. We came on business. Business? What business? Your niece has written a book I'm interested in publishing. You're the publisher, huh? uh, You may have read I it. I have not. Very good. For your information, Mr. North, I disapprove of Martha's so-called literature. He writes very well, Mr. Gilroy. And you've read the book? Oh, yes. North, that book is not for publication. But, Mr. Gilroy... When I give an order, it's to be obeyed. It seems to me, Mr. Gilroy, the business is between me and your niece. She wrote the book. I'm going to publish it. And I say that you're not. Mr. Gilroy, nobody tells me what I can and can't do. Why, you insolent book peddler, you... Jerry, we'd better go. Yes, I think we'd better. Wait a minute. I said that book was not to be published. I beg your pardon, sir, but I say it is going to be published. Good night. Come back here. Jerry! Oh, it's a Now give it to me. Oh. You'd better give it to him, Jerry. It's a little difficult to argue against the gun. Hand it over. All right. Here you are, sir. Look out, Jerry! Let go! Oh, his gun! Let go! Oh, Jerry! Oh, Jerry! You killed him! Turn to Mr. and Mrs. North in just a moment. But first, let's listen to the story of Mary. Mary, Mary, nothing fairy, never ever had a day. Mary, Mary, often wondered what would be her fate. Would she be single forever? Whoa, alas, or would she hear? Mary, darling, darling, Mary, you're so lovely, Mary, me. Well, things looked pretty sad for Mary. Then one day she saw the new Columbia picture, Something to Shout About, starring luscious Janet Blair. 
And just afterwards, as Mary was looking through a magazine, she found these words from Janet Blair bang in front of her eyes. You'll never die for popularity if you follow Hollywood in our new beauty discovery, Woodbury Beauty Night Cake. This three-minute bedtime care with Woodbury Cold Cream has all it takes to help skin look dazzling. I've never known any other cream so effective in giving a girl's face the luscious smoothness that makes men pay attention. So Mary rushed out and got Woodbury Cold Cream. That night, she started giving her skin the Woodbury Beauty Nightcap. And listen, a certain young man Mary had been secretly adoring, who'd never noticed Mary before, suddenly looked twice, started pursuing, started booing, and now they've named the day. Well, the moral is simple, girls. If your life is dull, manless, and dateless, doubtless it's because your skin needs a delicious smoothness that makes a man's top look and pursue. So, if you want the chance to say yes to romance, if you need a plan to captivate that man, if you wish he would woo, use Woodbury too. Why don't you, tonight, that Woodbury cold cream? <laughs> Now, back to Mr. and Mrs. North. Twenty minutes have passed since the shooting in Gordon Gilroy's library. Police Sergeant Mullins has taken charge. The medical examiner is leaning over the body. Doc, are you sure he's dead? Well, Sergeant, when there's no breath, no pulse, and a bullet hole, <laughs> you can be sure the body's a corpse. Okay, Doc. Mr. North. Yes, Mullins. It's my unpleasant duty, Mr. North, on your own admission. To hold you for the murder of Gordon Gilroy. Oh, but, Sergeant, it was an accident. Jerry didn't mean to do it. Yeah, I know, I know, but he's admitted to shooting. I want to warn you that anything you say will be used against you. It, it, just a minute, Sergeant Mullins. Jerry's just trying to protect me. I, I'm the one who shot Mr. Gilroy. You? you? Now, for heaven's sake, don't complicate it anymore. Now, now, don't listen to anything he says, Sergeant. When Jerry and Mr. Gilroy were fighting, the gun dropped on the floor, and, and I picked it up and... Sam, will you stop this melodramatic nonsense? Oh, dear, this is terrible. Oh, i got to hold the both of you. Oh, say, hey, Mullins, will you come here a minute? Yeah, Doc. Is there any sign of life? Well, no, there ain't that, but uh, there's something else here. What's that? I uh, just turned the body over. And look, oh, crying out loud. Stabbed in the back. Yep, that's what did it. He was knifed after he was shot. And the bullet lodged in the shoulder. But it wasn't fatal. Where's the knife? Well, of course, I'm just a doctor. <laughs> You're the detective. Well, thank heavens he was stabbed. That clears Mr. and Mrs. North. What does it? Uh, say, Mr. North. Yes, Mullins. Did you use a knife on the deceased? A knife? A knife. There wasn't any knife, Sergeant. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad to hear you say that. Of course, he was stabbed to death. Well, uh, just a minute. I'm I'm going, Mullins, now. And your men can take pictures. Oh, thanks, Doc. And if your tenant wagon wants me, when he gets here, I'll be at the laboratory. So long, Sergeant. Uh, so long, Doctor. Jerry, it must have happened while you were out calling the police, and I was getting the first aid kit from upstairs. Yes. How long was you out of the room? Oh, not more than three or four minutes. Did you see anybody drifting around the halls about then? No, the phone's in the alcove in the hall. I could see the library door all the while. Nobody went in or out. Jerry, the murderer must have come in those French doors. Say, that's about the size of it. He could have come right in here and gone out again, and nobody's been the wiser. What does that door lead to, Mullen? There's a terrace out here that runs the length of the house. The murderer must have been waiting out there while we were in here with Mr. Gilroy. Oh, that could be. Oh, cold as an Eskimo's nose outside. 
Well, we've got a job in our hands. We've got to find that knife. May I come in? Oh, hold on now. Wait a minute. I told you to stay in the other room. Well, I, I can't say that with a servant. I, I'm so nervous I can't sit still. Martha, did your uncle have any enemies who want him out of the way? What do you mean? That shot didn't kill your uncle, Martha. He was stabbed in the back. Oh. oh have you any idea who could have done it? Well, I'm afraid he had a good many enemies. He was pretty ruthless in business. Yes, I can imagine that. Well, whoever did it knew something about the house. It was an inside job. I suppose you're right. Of course I'm right. Only somebody knowing the terrace and... Say, wait a minute. Why did you say that? Well, it was just that nobody knew Uncle Gordon was here. He was supposed to be in Chicago. I... Whoever did it must have known he was in the house. All right. Who was in the house? Well, the, the servant. And anybody else? There's my aunt, Mrs. Gilman. Where is she? I don't know. She, she was upstairs earlier in the evening. You never mentioned your aunt to us, Martha. We seldom mention her to anyone, Sam. She walked out on Uncle Gordon about a year ago. This afternoon, she suddenly appeared and... Said she wanted to talk to him and was going to wait until he came back. Oh, I guess we'll have to look up this lady. Anybody else? No. Oh, oh wait. Uh, Norman Cross. Who's he? Uncle Gordon's private secretary. He, he must have come back with Uncle Gordon. He was the first to go to Chicago. Did you see him? No. I, I didn't even know Uncle Gordon was back until after the shooting. Well, there's another guy to round up. Where does he live? There's a room on the ground floor of the servant's wing. And I... Well, there's something you'll find out about him sooner or later. He, he embezzled $10,000 from Uncle Gordon. $10,000? Why didn't Gilroy turn him over to the police? He was going to, but he, he couldn't afford to until after the Chicago trip because, oh, Crosby had compiled some lists or, or papers. Well, or, there's your motive. I'm going out and find this. Oh, Luke, I'm glad you got here. Hello, Sergeant. Hi, Pam. Sure. Oh, Hello, Bill, Bill, I'm so glad you got here. Well, what's the case, Mullen? Over here, Luke, is the body. It's Mr. Gordon Gilroy, the banker. That guy who owns his house. Jimmy. Yes, Pam. This would be a wonderful time to look for that night. All the servants are in the next room. We could go through their things. Oh, Pam, we can't take any chances. I'm seriously mixed up in this business. And... But, Jerry, we must find that knife. There, there may be fingerprints. That's Bill Wigan's job. Now, here. now, darling, don't say another word. We're going to the servant's room. Silly, Jerry, you don't have to knock. Servants are all in the living room. But we can't just open doors. Yeah, and... I will. Oh, the light's on. Come in, Joey, quick. I wonder whose room this is. It's a man's. Oh, there's a briefcase on the bed. Now, don't open it, Pam. Oh, I'm not going to, Jerry. I just want to see these initials. N.C. N.C. What? Norman Crosby. That's right, the secretary. This is his room. Now, let's see. Let's see what? If you were a murderer, Jerry, where would you put your knife? Right next to my fork. Now, Pam, we haven't any right to go through a... There's a window seat. That'd be a dandy place. 
Jerry, you go through the things in that dresser and be sure to look between the shirts. That's where I always hide things at home. All right. The funny part is we'll probably find that darn knife. Jerry. Jerry, come here. What? Look. This window leads right out to the terrace. You can see the French doors of the library from here. Well, what about it? Well, don't you see, dear? Crosby could have climbed out this window, sneaked along the terrace, and gone through those doors into the library. Yes, I suppose he could. And after... After he'd done it, he came back here You're and... certainly putting together a wonderful case. But, Jerry, don't you see? Everything fits. Crosby knew that Mr. Gilroy was in the library. And goodness knows he had good reason to want to get rid of him. Jerry, you're not paying a bit of attention. Look, Pam. What? On the floor. There by the dresser. Jerry, is it really blood? Yes, I think so. Trails over to this door. Oh, Jerry, don't. Don't open that door. I'm afraid I must have. Look the other way, dear. All right, Jerry. Go ahead. Good boy. Is it Mr. Cross? Yes. He's been stabbed, too. <laughs> You didn't hear the shot or any commotion here in the library, Mr. I didn't hear a thing, I tell you. Bill, will you see you a moment? Uh, in a second, Jerry. Uh, come in and sit down. Good morning, Sam. Hi, Mrs. Gilroy. You've been separated from your husband for over a year, as you say. What are you doing here in this house? A little matter of money. I've been supporting you? <laughs> it wasn't support, just a slight prop. And last month, it fell down. And that's what I came to see him about. Did you know he was going to Chicago? Not till I got here. Arthur told me when I arrived. Arthur? He's the butler. Oh. Oh, man. So he went up to your old room to wait until Gilroy came back. That's right, you You'll pardon my saying so, but you're a strange woman to be married to a banker like Mr. Gilroy. You mean he was a strange man to be married to a girl like me. And you're right. He took me out of the follies 11 years ago. But let me tell you, brother, the dough he spent on me didn't come anywhere near paying for what I had to put up with. What do you mean? The conceited, double-dealing old hypocrite. I... I don't like to say things about the dead. But if there ever was a guy that deserved a bullet, it was Gordon Gilroy. Oh, you gave him one, is that it? <laughs> I'm not that crazy. He was my meal ticket. All right, Mr. Gilroy. Excuse me, Mr. My time is your time. You want to see me, Jerry? Sam and I just found Crosby. He's dead. Good night. I had him pegged for the guilty party. That's what I told Jerry. He could have sneaked out the window. Come here, Bill. I'll show you from the French door. But, Pam, that whole theory's out now. He's dead. Well, but that doesn't make any difference. He could have done it, and then somebody could have murdered him. Now, uh, look out this door to the left, Bill. Yes? Uh, see that room where the light... Look! Somebody's climbing out a window. Stop! The name of the law! He's starting to run. Stop, Ross, jump! Come on, Jerry. Pam, stay here. That fellow may start shooting back. No. No, his hands are up. Bill's got him. Hurry, Jerry. We'll miss right, everything. Man. Put up your hands now. Come no, down. I've got nothing to do with anything that's going on in this house. Wicked, Bill. Two-bit racketeer known as Red Barton. What are you doing here, Red? Nothing. 
Honest, I didn't take nothing. Oh, Red. Red, you hurt. No, honey, no. Oh, he was shooting. That's right. Wait a minute. This honey business. Uh, oh, well, you know. No, I don't know. Well, Sally and me, we've been going around together. Oh, I see. And what about it? You pick nice company, Mrs. Gilroy. The kind that leaves by the window. Sure, with the joint loaded with cops, I should stick around. <laughs> Come on. <clears throat> Back to the house before we freeze. Okay, I got nothing to hide. I was just waiting for you to finish with the power. Ooh. Come along, Jimmy. I'm beginning to shiver. Just a minute, then. What are you staring at? Look. There, on the side of the building. Where? The rain spot. Jerry. So that's why we couldn't find the knife. Lieutenant, I don't care if you lock me up or what you do. I didn't have nothing to do Red with this. Red was with me all the time. Sure. We were upstairs. Quiet, both of you. Oh, Bill, I'd like to see you. Oh, uh, just you a do. second, Jerry. I want... What's the matter? You haven't found another body, have you? No, not yet, Bill. But we may. Well, what's up, Bill? Then Pam and I were outside this now. Are we Wait, sure? Jerry. Wasn't Mr. Gilroy's gun on the desk there? Huh? Well, it's gone now. Hmm. Wait, just a minute. Jerry... I went out after Red Barton. Did Mrs. Gilroy leave this room when I did? No, no. She followed us. No. Do you think she picked up a gun then? Miss Chapman, you just take Red into the next room and turn him over to Mullins. You follow us. I want Mrs. Gilroy to be here alone. What do you think she'll do? Let's see. Jerry, Bill's setting a trap. Well, don't spring it. Mrs. Gilroy, you wait here. All right, detective. All right, Red. You can come with me. Come along, Pam. Excuse us, please, Mrs. Gilroy. Indefinitely, dearie. Hmm. That's Mrs. Gilroy. You'd think I came here to borrow a cup of sugar. (laughs) Come on, Pam. Bill's gone in the living room. I wonder what that woman's going to do now that we... Jerry. What is it? Look, across the hall, behind that screen... I can't see anything behind the screen. It's in the mirror. What? It's marvelous. She's got her hat and coat on. We'd better stop her, Jerry. Playing hide and seek, Martha? Oh. oh. No, don't tell me one, please. I, I've got to get out of this house. You can't leave now. If you run away, Martha, they'll suspect you. I can't stay. Uncle Gordon's dead and, and Crosby and... I'm going to be next. Oh, believe me, you don't know what's going on in this house. I, I'm going to be next. I, I haven't a chance. Come into the parlor. You're shaking like a leaf. Now, look. There's a nice big couch. You stretch out there. Poor darling. Now, Mother, who's frightening you? Don't do it. She's the one who killed Uncle Gordon. How do you know? He, he wouldn't give her a divorce. She wanted to marry Red Bart. But she wouldn't kill him. You don't know her. She'd do anything to get what she wants. Wait a minute, Martha. Is she the woman you had in mind when you wrote your book? Yes. She tricked Uncle Gordon into marrying her. She spent his money like water. Why wouldn't your uncle divorce her? Oh, Uncle Gordon was no saint either. She, she had too much on him. If she were no longer his legal wife, she'd blackmail him out of every last cent. 
Well, he couldn't let her go. For his own protection. I'm going to get Bill White. He should hear this. I'll be right back. Oh, Pam, I'm so frightened. Now I know I suspect it. She's going to try to put me out of the way. Pam, hold on. Oh, Pam, I... Try to be calm. Dan, would you get me some aspirin and water? I've got to have something. Of course you will. Oh, I'll be back in a minute. Now you just close your eyes. Jerry will be here with Bill and the All right. Oh, she's... Not steady, Pam. All right. You want me to come in? Oh, thank you. Look, Bill. A sofa right over her head. Hmm. Bullet hole. That was a close call. What a... You're all right, dear. She... She almost killed me. She? From the French doors. I... I saw the gun and and I ducked. Are you positive it was Dolly? Did you see her? Only her hand holding the gun. I... I've got to get out of here. Oh, me. no, she won't. I'll take care of her right now. Bill, wait a minute. Don't go. What is it, Pam? There's something I want to ask Martha. What? In that book you wrote, Martha, wasn't the character who did all the killing patterned after Dolly Gilroy? Yes. And one of her victims was a political boss, an unscrupulous man who controlled millions and, and killed others for money. Yes. Was that man your uncle? No, no. no. Just an imaginary person. That's not the truth, Martha. That man was your uncle. No. Pam, I see what you mean. You're right. Crossed you. That's why Gordon Gilroy didn't want the book published. What are you talking about? Every crime Gordon Gilroy ever committed was described in that novel. Detail by detail. It was taken from real life. Martha. You wrote that book to blackmail your own uncle. Why, Pam. Why, Pam, me. You're not as sweet as you look, Martha Gilroy. What are you driving at? You didn't expect your uncle back tonight, did you? And you didn't know that he was on to your blackmailing scheme until you saw him fighting with Jerry through the French doors in the library. You're crazy. Oh, no, I'm not. When your uncle was shot and Jerry and I left the room to get help, you saw a good chance to kill him. But you needed a weapon, a gun, or a knife. What are you... So you grabbed the closest thing at hand, a heavy icicle hanging from the rain spout on the side of the house. How did you... You're crazy. You stabbed your uncle with an icicle. No wonder we couldn't find a knife. She broke another one off to kill Norman Crosby. He saw her go into the library with the ice dagger. She killed him. All right, you're so smart. Figure this out. Don't move, any of you. So you took the gun, Miss Gilroy. A very clever observation, Lieutenant. Martha, you can't possibly get away. Give me that gun. (laughs) Don't make matters worse. You probably had a good reason for killing your uncle. The court will take things into consideration. Yes, I had a good reason to kill him. He murdered my father. That's how he got all his money. He drove Dad to suicide and stole every cent. Gordon Gilroy, the great philanthropist. Put down that gun. I'm not through with it yet, Lieutenant. There's one more death on the books of the Gilroy family. Mother, stand back. I don't want to have to kill you. Jerry, somebody didn't do something. I'm the only one who could do anything, and and here goes. So long, everybody. Down! We got Pam. Just in time. Jerry, how did you ever think of it? Holland, take care of Miss Gilroy. Okay, Luke. 
<laughs> All right, miss, come along with me. You take the prize. How did you know Martha was, was the one? Well, I, I knew she was lying, so I, I just put two and two together. Sure enough, she was the one. How did you know she was lying? And what about? I'll try to make sense here. Well, it was right after somebody shot at Martha in this room. I, I was the first one in here, remember? Yes. Well, Martha said the shot came from the French doors. But when I ran in, I smelled burnt powder and saw smoke hanging in the center of the room. She stood right here in the middle of the room and fired that gun herself. My going, Pam. Poor Martha. Oh, but Jerry. Now you can't publish that book. Yep. There goes the bestseller right out the window. <laughs> A mink coat costs a lot, but the luxurious-looking, luscious complexion that goes with it can be yours for so little. Use Woodbury Cold Cream. You just can't give your skin better care at any price. A test by more than a thousand women proved that. They use Woodbury in some of the costliest creams, all in plain, unlabeled jars. And a majority preferred Woodbury Cold Cream. For beauty results, they found it outstanding. Now, don't be surprised. Remember, Woodbury Cold Cream is made by skin scientists, experts in skin care for more than 60 years. It contains four special softening and smoothing ingredients, plus an element that works to keep the cream in the jar pure to the last. The world's costliest creams don't bring you that. You can try wonderful Woodbury Cold Cream for a mere 10 cents, or buy the big economy jar. You get over 10 times as much for just 75 cents. If, after using Woodbury only seven days, your skin isn't softer and smoother, lovelier. Then return the jar to Woodbury at Cincinnati, Ohio, and you'll get twice what you pay. That's W-O-O-D-B-U-R-Y. You'll save by switching from your expensive cream to Woodbury. Buy war stamps with that saving. Why not get Woodbury cold cream right now? <laughs> Tune in again next Tuesday evening at the same time for another adventure of Mr. and Mrs. North when a barefooted corpse manages to put his shoes on. For thrills and for laughs, be sure to listen, won't you? This is Ben Grower saying goodnight for Woodbury Cold Cream, the beauty cream for the skin you love to touch. Stay tuned for Duffy's Tavern next on Theater of the Mind. Let's see what's happening at Duffy's Tavern. We're about to join the bartender Duffy as he reaches for the phone to chat with his boss. Truchet, the hand lotion with the beforehand extra, and Vitalis for well-groomed hair, bring you Duffy's Tavern, starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. No man is well-dressed unless his hair is well-groomed. So take the tip. Try the way successful men in both sports and business keep their hair looking its very best. It's Vitalis and the 60-second workout. See how the Vitalis workout helps your hair, helps stimulate your scalp. See how it prevents dryness, routes loose dandruff, and helps check excessive falling hair. And see how Vitalis keeps your hair handsome and healthy-looking with never a trace of a greasy patent leather shine. 
for there's not a single drop of mineral oil in Vitalis. So try Vitalis and the 60-second workout. You'll like it, and you'll like what it does for the looks of your hair. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Where do you late to eat meat to eat? Archie the Manchester. <laughs> right away. <laughs> Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. <clears throat> Look, I just got quite a compliment. Yeah, the uh, glass eater from the circus uh, was in. He says our blue plate special lunch was delicious. <laughs> yeah, he left the luncheon at the plate. <laughs> well, Duffy, in his business, you know, he can't take chances with his stomach. <clears throat> Another thing, the inspector from uh, Weights and Measures was in, you know, and complained about the size of our whiskey jiggers. Yeah, he says they were too small, so I tricked him. I gave him a drink of our bar rye, and then he complained the jiggers was too big. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Duffy, I'm going down to the bank to make a deposit. Well, yeah, nothing like having a little dough put aside. I, you know, I quit smoking, stopped going to movies, and quit buying fancy clothes. And keeping away from dames. Yeah, for the first time, I'm really enjoying life. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, can I have an hour off to go to the bank? I can't. Now, look, Duffy. You know, tomorrow's St. Patrick's Day, and uh, I've been meaning to ask you, uh, did St. Patrick chase you out of Ireland? <laughs> huh? Ah, go soak your head. Did I hear you say you was taking an hour off? Why not? It's my turn. Oh, you figure. You had an hour off last year. <laughs> Besides, it's uh, rather urgent, you know. I have an important appointment with my bank. I'm uh, making a deposit. How much? Ten bucks. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, ten bucks ain't hey. Hmm. Nowadays, it ain't even money. <laughs> All right. Which, which bank are you going to? Well, that's my big problem, uh, finding a bank that I can trust. Hmm. <laughs> That's a switch. Up till now, your big problem was finding the bank that would trust you. Uh, how come you're getting so thrifty all of a sudden? Well, I think a guy should look out for his future, you know? You never can tell when disaster is liable to strike. Mm, like what? Oh, sickness, accident, marriage. <laughs> now, take you. Uh, how much do you make a week? Including tips? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> And out of that, how much do you save? Practically nothing. But I'm going to be different. No more throwing dough away, like on dames. You know, look what it cost me to go out last Saturday night. You mean with dollar snapping? Yeah. Joe's diner wasn't good enough for it. She has to go to one of them high-class places where it's dining and dancing. Mm, cost you plenty, huh? You know how them jukeboxes eat up nickels. <laughs> Another thing I'm going to cut down on is me rent. Why do I need a six-room apartment? How much does it cost you? Twenty. Nine bucks a month. <laughs> that much? Well, I rented it when the apartments were scarce and I got stuck with a lease. <laughs> now, shit, from now on, I'm going to be known as Thrifty Archie. I'm going to put a little something aside, you know? Eddie, we can all take a lesson from the squirrels, you know? All year round, they're busy storing up nuts. Uh, oh. <laughs> Hello, Finnegan. Uh, hi, thanks, Arch. Finnegan, you see before you a new Archie. Oh. 
Did you get a good trade-in on the old one? <laughs> I mean, what I mean is I'm trying to figure out how to cut down the cost of living. Well, that's simple. Oh, yeah? How do I do it? Drop dead. <laughs> I'm afraid your method is a little too roundabout. <clears throat> well, there's two sides to that question. What do you mean? I'm a little off-center. <laughs> you stay in there, too, don't you? Yes, you might have gotten a laugh if I'd read the right line there, too. <laughs> that I know. Want to try it again? Yeah, well, there's two sides to that question. Where do you stand? <laughs> Uh, I am a little off-center. <laughs> that I know. <laughs> but uh, take your case, for instance, yeah. Finnegan. Uh, do you manage to save any money? Oh, certainly. For instance, every time we weigh ourselves, me and me kid brother save a penny. How? We both get on the scale at the same time. <laughs> you both can. Then how can you tell what each one weighs? Simple. We divide by two. <laughs> And that don't make no sense. One of you has to weigh more than the other. What's the difference, Arch? It's all in the family. <laughs> He's a little off-center. <laughs> Look, uh, after you save these pennies, what do you do with them? Oh, I go to Coney Island and have a good time. Yeah, and you never think of saving anything for a rainy day, though, hmm? Who wants to go to Coney Island on a rainy day? <laughs> Finnegan, I'm beginning to conclude that you don't know nothing about economics. Well, I could have told you that. <laughs> well, uh, would you like me to explain the economic system to you? Is there any way I can get out of it? <laughs> no. Then please do. Okay. We'll start with money. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, take the dollar, or as it is known today, the half dollar. <laughs> now... If you put it in a the bank, they pay you 1% interest. But how can they make money that way? Well, they lend it back, the end charge you 6%. <laughs> See? That is, of course, unless you're very poor. If you're poor, the bank don't charge you the 6%. How come? They don't lend you the money in the first place. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Uh, uh, I think so, except for one minor point. What's that? What's the economic system? <laughs> I think I'm wasting my time. Look, Eddie, keep an eye on the joint while I get down to the bank, will you? Hey, can I go on with you? What do you want to go to the bank for? I'd just like to stand there and drool. <laughs> well, here we are, Eddie. The Third Avenue Bank and Trust Company. Yeah. Look what it say on the window. Assets, $36 million. Little did I know that in a few minutes they'll have to add ten bucks to that thing. I know. Leave us find the president's office. That is right there. See that? See that? J. B. McIntosh, president. J. B. McIntosh. Think I should uh, just call him J. B. Why not? He'll probably call you by your initial. You know how it is with them presidents. <laughs> Leave us go in. Uh, Mr. McIntosh? Uh, yes? Uh, sir, uh, I am a potential depositor. Uh, do you mind if I ask a few questions? Not at all. Well, uh, nothing personal, but uh, can you prove to me that your bank ain't crooked? 
I uh, beg your pardon? Come, come, McIntosh. You know what I'm driving at. Do you maintain a fiduciary balance uh, to offset diminishing debentures on the fiscal? <laughs> I, I don't understand. Uh, what he want to know is, if he put it in, do he get it out? <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. What's your answer to that one, McIntosh? Young man, you can take your money out at any time unless you put it in our Christmas club. Oh, what happens then? Then the money can't be taken out till next December. Can't, huh? I suppose there are redundant circumstances. <laughs> Sorry, but we're very strict. You see, some of our depositors are weak and spineless and haven't enough character to resist temptation. Miss Archie, give the man the money. <laughs> uh, what amount did you plan to deposit, young man? Well, I was uh, planning something in the general neighborhood of ten bucks. <laughs> ten bucks? Yes. Oh, goody! Now we can build that annex. Yeah. <laughs> well, Finnegan, we're back from the bank. Uh, and... Don't bother me, Archie. I'm busy taking care of a customer. Oh, a customer. Good. What's he buying? Nothing. He's selling me a watch. <laughs> oh, let me see that. Hey, let me look at that watch. Hey, pretty good. What do you want for it, stranger? Ten bucks. You got a deal. Uh, will you trust me till Christmas? <laughs> uh, what's your offer, bud? Me? Uh, uh, two bucks. Cash. Brother, you bought yourself a watch. <laughs> so long, fellas. Finnegan, how can you be such a jerk letting that guy sell you such a crummy watch? I'll bet it don't even run. Well, if it don't, the laugh's on him. How come? I can't tell time. <laughs> Some people just never learn. Hello, Arch. Oh, hello, Joe. Hey, nice watch you got there, Finnegan. Would you like to sell it? Oh, good. Maybe. Uh, how much? Well, I want five, but I'll take ten. <laughs> you, you want five, but you'll take ten, huh? What do you say we split the difference? Okay, it's your deal. Three bucks. <laughs> hey, hey, that's pretty good, huh, Arch? I paid two and I get three. Yeah, Joe, what are you going to do with the watch? Uh, give it to my girl. A cheap watch like that? Arch, it's not the watch, it's the sentiment. Besides, a watch like that on my girl's wrist will get everyone to notice her hand. You can say that again. Well, naturally, Arch. <laughs> After all, she has lovely hands. Truchet, you know. I know. <laughs> and there's nothing like Truchet to care for hands, because Truchet is the beforehand lotion. Something really different in hand lotions. You can use it before you get to work, before you do dishes, before you put your hands in water. And Truchet is so effective that it will guard your hands even in that hot, soapy water. But you can also use Truchet as you use ordinary hand lotion. Anytime your hands need a creamy, softening lotion. So get Truchet and get an all-around hand lotion that gives you beforehand protection. Something no ordinary lotion gives you. Get Truchet, the beforehand lotion, and get softer, lovelier hands. Uh, hi, Art. Yeah? If you buy a watch for two bucks and you sell it for three bucks, uh, how much do you make? Uh, 50%. Mm. How much do they pay you in the bank? 1%. Gee, Art, I wish I had your brains. <laughs> Don't be sarcastic. At least in the bank, I know the money is safe. That is, I think it is. Hmm. Eddie. Uh, yeah. 
And just thinking, when we was down to the bank, uh, did you notice that cashier? What about him? You notice he always kept his hat on? <laughs> and that president, uh, that Macintosh, I wonder. Give me that phone. Hello? Third uh, Avenue Bank and Trust Company? Look, would you kindly peek into Mr. McIntosh's office and see if he's still there? <laughs> he is? Okay, thank you. Uh, well, that's that. Hey, Miss Arthur, ain't that Max the Bookie over there? Max the Bookie? Yeah, the guy from the racetrack? Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's heard I got money. Arch. Sweet Sue in the third race. He heard. <laughs> uh, look, Max, I quit betting the horses. I don't want no more of them phony tips. Phony? You heard me. That last horse you give me. When a race starts, he has to run in the wrong direction. Then when he gets halfway around the track, he faints. Well, it was the shock, Arch. It was the first time he'd ever seen other horses face to face. Oh, yeah? Well, what about that other short thing? The one where you told me the jockey was your own brother. The horse was full of Benzedrine. The judges was all fixed. How come I lost on that one? Well, Arch, can I help it if somebody pulls something crooked? <laughs> Look, Max, you're wasting your time. I'm through betting on horses. I got me money safely tucked away in the bank. You put it in the bank? Yeah. What odds did they give you? <laughs> they didn't give me no odds. You mean they only give you even money? What is the world coming to? Look, Max, get out of here, will you? You're wasting oh. your time. Okay. Uh, maybe some of your pals would like to make a few bucks, huh? Uh, how about you, bud? Not me. Last horse I bet on, he came in so late at night, he had to tiptoe into the stable. <laughs> well, okay, gents. Just remember what I told you. Sweet Sue in the third. Are you kidding, Sweet Sue? He couldn't run his way out of a paper bag. Well, then uh, what about Blue Boy in the fourth? Blue Boy, strictly a nag. Okay. Uh, how about this one in the sixth? A horse called Money in the Bank. Max, I'm not gonna... <laughs> Money in the Bank. Uh, Arch, it might be a hunch. Yeah, Max, uh, are you sure this is a good tip? Well, I figured it out according to my system. What system? Well, don't you remember? Who gave you Valdina Marl in the Gold Cup? You did. And who gave you Speed King in the Preakness? You did. Who gave you Lady Luck in the Kentucky Derby? You did, but so what? All them horses lost. Well, Arch, no system is perfect. <laughs> hey, look, uh, this horse that's money in the bank. Yeah? Uh, what's the odds on him? Four to one. And, brother, you can put your shirt right on his nose. Won't that interfere with his breathing? <laughs> Wait a minute, Max. Huh? You're a bookie. If this horse is such a hot tip, how come you're willing to bet against yourself? I'm the friendly type. <laughs> you see, you guys are all pals of mine. I'd like to make you happy. Well, that's good enough for me. I'll bet three bucks on him. Okay, you want to bet him to win? What do you think, to lose? Finnegan, <laughs> you're making a big mistake, I'm telling you. Oh, yeah? Like I did with the watch, eh? Okay. Play, Gypsy. That's why you make. Turn the radio on, Eddie, and uh, leave us see what happens. Okay. Hey, Wait a minute. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And now.
now the horses are rounding the first turn. It's Skyrocket out in front, followed by Sea Breeze, Lady Pilot, and Money in the Bank. Uh, come on, Money in the Bank! As J.P. Barnum says, there's one born every minute. <laughs> now they're in the straightaway. It's Skyrocket, Sea Breeze, and Money in the Bank, moving up in a third position. To quote Benjamin Franklin, uh, a penny saved is a penny earned. <laughs> Come on, money in the bank! And now it's neck and neck, skyrocket and money in the bank. Benjamin Franklin felt that a modest return on a modest investment was always necessary. <laughs> and here comes money in the bank. It's money in the bank by one link. Benjamin Franklin... <clears throat> and now it's money in the bank by two links. You're out of boy, money in the bank! Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh... The... And Money in the Bank is the winner. Oh, boy, the winner. Yeah, and four to one. Uh, did you hear that, Miss Arthur? That stinking Benjamin Franklin. Look, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I think I'll call up my mother and tell her the good news. You're gonna spend a nickel to call your mother? Oh, I made 12 bucks. See? Easy come, easy go. <laughs> These horse players is all alike. Go ahead, throw away your nickel. Mm. No answer. Someday you'll listen to your old Uncle Archie. Uh, I guess you better hang up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a hat full of nickels. Oh, boy. What was you saying, old Uncle Archie? <laughs> okay, scoff me, but I still say me money's gonna stay in the bank. Archie, bonsoir, mon chéri. Well, Rennie, I ain't seen you in a long time. Did you miss me, Archie? Yeah, now that I see you, I realize how much of you I've missed. <laughs> you lost a little weight, didn't you? Yes. I've been taking reducing pills. Reducing pills, huh? Wonderful how them little pills know just what to leave alone. <laughs> Look, uh, Rennie, uh, ain't this kind of a surprise visit, though? Uh... Well, I was thinking about you, and I felt a little lonesome. Oh, I thought maybe you heard I got money in the bank. <laughs> you have money in the bank? Yes, in a Christmas fund. Oh. Yes, you see, a friend of mine, uh, Mr. McIntosh, the president of the bank, uh, Mr. McIntosh says I gotta keep it there. You uh, mean you can't take the money out till Christmas? Uh, well, Mr. McIntosh says Archie, that. Archie, why wait till December when it could be Christmas tonight? Rennie, you mean. Yes, we could dance together. And you could hold me real close in your arms. But, uh, Mr. McIntosh says the <laughs> bank has a rule. Then the... later on in the evening, we could go someplace where we could be all alone. Just the two of us. <laughs> Hello, McIntosh. Merry Christmas. <laughs> McIntosh, this is Archie. I got me my... Hello? Hmm. 
I think I'd better go down there in person. Uh, Rennie, please, uh, wait here, though, in the meantime, will you? And, 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 and don't lose the mood. <laughs> but, Mr. Archer, uh, would Benjamin Franklin approve of you spending your money this way? Eddie, Benjamin Franklin was a much older man than I am. <laughs> Archie, the answer is no. But, Mr. McIntosh, you're a banker. You got a heart, ain't you? Who, me? <laughs> Look, Mr. McIntosh, <clears throat> I'd like you to meet me brother. Uh, hello. Uh, this is your brother? Well, things is tough all over. <laughs> <clears throat> That's why I need the money, sir. You see, me brother here has to have a uh, delicate brain operation. A uh, brain operation? Yes, they've got to remove it. <laughs> yeah, the doctor says it's cluttering up his thoughts. <laughs> and, and it ain't only the operation. Uh, Mr. McIntosh, he's got other troubles. His wife just come back from Chicago with a little bundle in her arms. The uh, poor dame's got to do her own laundry. <laughs> you had enough, McIntosh? <laughs> Archie, the answer is no. Mr. McIntosh, take another look at me, brother. Here. How would you like me to go around telling people he's a director of this bank? <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen, I know when I'm licked. Here's the ten dollars. Well, Rennie, looks like we're all set. You have the money. Yep. Now, uh, where do we start tonight? Uh, you name it, honey. Nah, you name it. Nah, you name it. The stock club. Okay, I'll name it. <laughs> Look, why don't we just go to Joe's Diner? Joe's Diner? But, Archie, it's so cold there. I think I'd be much warmer at the stock club. Excuse me a minute. Eddie, the dame wants to go to the stock club. So what? I only got ten bucks. I got to get some more money. Arch, stumble bum in the seventh. Max, are you still here? Uh, uh, just a minute, Ronnie. <clears throat> Max, this stumble bum, is it a good horse? Arch, I would bet him if he was running against my own mother. <laughs> yeah? Okay, here's the ten bucks. Put it on his nose. Eddie, look in the racing form and uh, see what it says about the seventh race. Seventh race, huh? Let me see. <clears throat> say, say, fly away should win easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, paper boy will be right there at the finish. Mm -hmm. Buzz bomb the one to beat. Bread mm -hmm. basket has won four in a row. Mm -hmm. Stumble bomb. Yes. Very fond of apples. <laughs> Is that all? <clears throat> No, say here, in his last race, Stumblebum finished in the money. Uh, finished in the money, huh? Yeah, he jumped the rail and crashed into the $2 window. <laughs> uh, just a minute, Ronnie. I got a horse running in the next race. I got to listen to it on the radio. Huh? Yes, folks, it's the seventh race, and the horses are at the starting gate. All except Stumblebum. He's having a hard time getting there. The walk from the paddock seems to have tired him out. Max, I think I should have bet on your mother. Well, now the horses are all lined up. Stumblebum is leaning against the starting gate. He's leaning? 
Well, he's saving his energy. Oh. There's quite a crowd out here at the track today, and... Wait a minute. What's that? There must be a storm coming up. Sounds like thunder. No. No, I'm wrong. It's just Stumblebum snoring. <laughs> Stumblebum seems to be having a little trouble with his legs. He's down on one knee. Mac. Uh, uh, well, you see, he's just going into a crouch for a good start. Oh. Well, we're all ready to go, folks. And they're off. It's Fly Away, Paperboy, Buzz Bomb, Red Basket, and Stumblebum is coming up fast. You hear that? He's coming up fast. Yes, sir. Stumblebum gets up off his knees and breaks into a fast dump. He's a slow starter. Oh. And now at the quarter pole, it's Fly Away, Paperboy, Buzz Bomb, and Red Basket. And Stumblebum is bringing up the rear. I had to bet him on his nose. <laughs> Stumblebum, get going, will you? Coming into the far turn, it's still fly away. Paperboy, Buzzbomb, and Breadbasket. Stumblebum, where are you? He probably stopped to ask directions. <laughs> and now as they cross the finish line, it's fly away. And then Paperboy, and Buzzbomb, and Breadbasket. What a race this was, folks. A lovely day and a record attendance. And for you folks who are leaving the track and driving home, the officials ask you to please drive carefully. And Stumblebum! <laughs> and now, a word about tomorrow's races. Archie. Yeah? What about our dinner date? Well, Rennie, as I told you, you know, I was going to take you to the store club and have champagne and caviar and uh, crepe Suzettes and... Wales. And Stumblebump. Eddie, please. But unfortunately, <clears throat> I'm broke. So how about a little dinner here at the tavern, huh? Archie, I just remembered. I have another appointment. Wait a minute, honey. I, I, just a minute. I'll, I'll get the dough. Finnegan, look, you, you still got the 12 bucks you won? Yeah. You still got the hat full of nickels? For sure. Well, let me have it, quick. Well, what do you need it for? You got money in the bank. Oh, Monsieur Finnegan. Yeah. How would you like to take me to the stock club? Can we get by on 12 bucks? I think so. Good night, Archie. Uh, sleep time. <laughs> That's Finnegan. What a joke. You see, Eddie? That's the way it is with them horse players. Once a sucker, always a sucker. <laughs> It's time now to leave Duffy's Tavern for this evening, but let's meet here again at the same time next Wednesday. Duffy's Tavern is brought to you by Vitalis for well-groomed hair and Truget, the hand lotion with the beforehand extra. Each Wednesday, Bristol Myers brings you Duffy's Tavern and Mr. District Attorney, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Bold Venture, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.